Well, we're going to come and explore more about our verse for the year, and Phil will be coming up shortly to explain that to us. But first, we're going to read it uh, together. And uh, if you've got a Bible with you, you may want to head to Lamentations, uh, chapter 3. Don't be afraid to use the contents to find it. Um, But we're going to play a video uh, um, of Robert and Judith who are going to read to us, and then Phil will come and bring God's word to us. Our reading today is from Lamentations, which is found in the middle of your Bible after Isaiah and Jeremiah. And we're reading from chapter 3 and starting at verse 19. So it's Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 19. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks after him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. For men are not cast off by the Lord for ever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. Heavenly Father, we just thank you now for this passage of scripture that has been read to us and for the challenges that it contains. We pray for Phil as he seeks to explain it to, to us in a few moments' time. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would open up our hearts and open up our eyes to your truths. Lord, we pray that we would learn from you this morning. We pray also for grace to put into the practice those things that we learn. We pray, Lord, that we would be made more Christ-like as we seek to apply your word to our heart and life. And we pray now for your Holy Spirit to help us to this end. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, let me begin by wishing everyone a happy new year. I hope uh, that in spite of all our changed plans over the Christmas holiday period, that we've been able to take some time to rest and celebrate Christmas and the new year. I saw a meme the other day that said, I'll be staying up till midnight on the 31st of December, not so much as to see the new year in, but more to make sure that last year doesn't come back. I'm sure many of us share that feeling about 2020, because last year, was difficult, wasn't it, in terms of the big things that hit us. But you know, with the turn of the, uh, the, the, the page of the calendar into 2021, we're in a bit of an odd place. On the one hand, we've got hope. There's a vaccine being rolled, rolled out. Spring is on its way. Uh, it, even the Olympics organizers are still confident that it's going to happen. And yet there's still uncertainty. We're in a new tier, tier four situation. 
Schools are struggling to know what to do, whether to go back or not. We're nervous about a new strain of the virus. And it's because of our current circumstances that we've chosen this, these verses for the year. Because Lamentations 3, 21 to 24, were written as verses that look for hope in the midst of suffering and uncertainty. And our hope is that as we look at them now, we're able to see how they give us hope and comfort in times that we're going through. And if you're, you're here this morning, um, we've, we've got a verse card written out for, uh, printed off for you, and you can uh, take one from one of the stewards on your way out. Uh, if you're watching this online, by the way, um, you're not going to miss out. We'd love to send you one of those uh, verse for the year cards in the post. Uh, just give us a call or, or drop us a line through the church website, and, and we'll get one to you, I promise. Uh, So this morning, we're going to look at these verses for the year. And what I'd like to do is start with a glimpse into the book of Lamentations as a whole. And then we're going to look at those verses um, and the three truths that they teach in the middle of dark times. And then what I'd like to do is just finish with, well, so what? How How do we respond? How do we go from there? So look, there are a number of places in the Bible that deal with the difficult issue of suffering. And what I find fascinating, and this is really, really comforting, it's a measure of the compassion of God for the suffering world, for the suffering in this world, that there's never a a purely intellectual debate in the Bible about suffering. There's never a sense in the Bible that two theologians sit down opposite each other, one arguing one thing and one arguing the other, and they're just kind of having it off. The the issue of suffering in the Bible is always in the context of pain and crying out to God. That that context is never divorced from from the topic. And it tells us that God understands that there is no such thing as a painless discussion about suffering. And whilst whilst books like Job and Habakkuk do discuss suffering, there's always that context. There are also places, though, in the Bible that focus on processing the emotions of suffering. So Psalms 3, 13, 44, they're great places. And it's almost as though they're there because they empathize with our suffering, our dark places, and they shape our loss, and they form our conversations with God. What to say, how to express it, how to just outpour emotion to God. That's what they do. And Lamentations does this too. It's a book written around 586 BC by someone who had witnessed firsthand the horrors of a city under siege, a siege warfare. An army had surrounded the city of Jerusalem, and it was slowly starving the people of that city to death. And the writer of this book cries out to God because of what he sees around him. And as he does so, In what he writes, he's helping God's people to cope with their sufferings, to to cope with the the loss, and and he teaches them to hope. That's the big thing. And and it's not a secular hope either. You see, what a secular hope does is it says, you know, just hang in there. Keep your positive mental attitude because sooner or later, circumstances are going to change. The hope that the writer of Lamentations points to 
is, is, is a comfort in the certainty that God is in the middle of their suffering, holding their hands, loving them dearly, and using this experience to grow them, and giving them confidence that there is someone they can trust. There is someone in charge. There is someone giving them a future and a hope and a, and a security. Lamentations, though, is, is a book. It's made up of five poems. Uh, that's how the, the, the chapters are arranged in the book. Each is literally a lament or a song or expressing pain. And the third lament, our chapter three, is where we find our verses for the year. It begins in the same way as previous chapters, recalling God's hand of judgment upon his people. The situation at the beginning of this chapter is at its bleakest. Verses one to 20 are the darkest verses in the book. But just as you, if you want to see the brilliance of a diamond, uh, you, you place it in the, on the blackest of cloths, so the, first, so the first 20 verses of chapter 3 act in the same way. They're a dark contrast to the most brilliant hope that begins with verse 21. In other words, God, what God wants us to see is that in the darkest of places, there is still great hope, and hope made greater for it. And it's a hope founded not on the longing for changing circumstances, nor on the search for meaning, but on the very heart and nature of God, his love. So the writer teaches himself what to reflect on. That's why he begins with that sentence, but this will I call to mind. It's as though he sits himself down and he tells himself, you know, turn off the telly, uh, delete all your social media apps on your phone, turn off your phone, in fact, put it on flight mode, and, and, and turn to this. This is what I want you to fill your mind with, soul. And he says, I will turn my mind to this one great solid reality in the midst of the darkest nightmare. God loves me. God loves me. And there are three great truths that these verses teach us in the middle of dark times. So let's look at those together. I'm sorry it's been a long introduction, but I hope that's laid a good foundation uh, for, for helping us understand these verses. And the first thing that these verses teach us is that God's love gives us hope. That's the first point this morning. God's love gives us hope. Look at verse 21 and 22 with me. Yet this will I call to mind, and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great love. We are not consumed. His compassions never fail. It's incredible, isn't it, that the writer in the middle of the greatest suffering turns to God's love for hope. Not his power to defeat his enemies, nor his knowledge to explain suffering, nor his omnipotence or his glory in creation, but his love. Does that not stagger us? Why does he meditate on God's love at this time in these circumstances? It's because God is love. L love is at the heart of the Trinity. It's the characteristic that holds our God in a triune harmony. God's love is a constant self-sacrificing affection, uh, affection and, and the greatest expression of who God is. God is love, and God expresses that love on a cosmic scale, eternally and powerfully, dynamically. And even more staggeringly, and here's the un 
unfathomable truth. God's people are invited into God's love. It's as though God God pulls back the veil on his character and on his might and his power and his glory. And what we see in the midst of the heart of God is the love of God. And we benefit from the overflow of it. It's just like children in a loving family benefit from the overflow of parents who love each other. And God's children, in the same way, have this great access into God's love. They're embraced by his love, immersed into that love. So when the writer of Lamentations tells himself to call to mind the steadfast love of God, God's love is the great bedrock of his being. The great truth that undergirds, that makes sense of and shapes every experience, whether good or bad. It's a bit like, okay, so when I was a kid, my dad had, had quite, a, um, quite a hardcore attitude to teaching uh, me and my sisters how to swim. Uh, we, we weren't taken along to a, a nice, kind um, swimming, swimming lesson coach. Um, he just stood in the deep end and said, jump in and I'll catch you. Um, and slowly he'd kind of step a bit back and jump in and have a, have a couple of strokes and ca- I'll catch you, and so on and so on and so forth. And, and what was lovely, it's because I knew my dad, uh, I, it, was, it was a bit hardcore, but because I knew my dad, I had no fear in jumping in. Because I knew my dad, I had no fear in jumping in and swimming a few strokes. And yes, I was terrified of the water, but because I knew my dad, I knew there was no, there was no problem in, in, in swimming. There was no problem in jumping into that water because I knew who he is. And in the same way, the writer is saying, because of the Lord's great love in this tiresome, difficult, horrifying circumstance, I know that my God has me. Because I know my God loves. And because my God loves, I have hope. Whatever experience today, we, we too can hope. And we hope because, like the writer says, God in his cosmic sovereignty and grace and character, he's got us. He's got us. He doesn't make mistakes. That's why he, said God's, he, he says God's love gives us hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. And the second thing that we see is God's love gives us confidence. Look again at verse 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. What does not consumed mean? Well, well spiritually... For us today, God's love has secured our eternal destiny. And that destiny is unstoppable, immovable. He's chosen us. He loves us. He's called us into his family. He's not going to uncall us out of his family. So we have a security with our souls, don't we? That love will never be taken from us. And in that sense, we're not going to be consumed. We're not going to be destroyed. Our salvation is dependent on Christ's love, not our own. But practically speaking, it means that 
God throughout time has had evil and this world's decay on a leash. So, so the great evils around the, the, the siege that, that the writer was experiencing, the great evils were being restrained by God's love preventing God's people from the worst it could do. And similarly for us today, we're not consumed because God has this coronavirus on a leash. COVID-19 hasn't mutated into a most virulent and toxic form. Why? Because God loves this world. And he restrains coronavirus. And his purpose is to save the world. And therefore, that purpose is not yet complete. The gospel has not yet reached everyone who needs to hear it. When we find ourselves in tough times and near despair, it's tempting to focus on the circumstances and feel overwhelmed by them. But Lamentations teaches us that when these times come, we need to focus instead on God's love because in God's love, we can be confident that he has a purpose in the chaos around us. He knows what he's doing. And he's protecting us from greater harm and greater evil. We are not consumed because of the Lord's great love. So God's love gives us hope. It gives us confidence in spite of our circumstances. And thirdly, God's love gives us comfort. Look at verse 22 and 23 again. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Because God loves, we can also say that his compassions never fail. That's a a phrase that uh, describes God's kindness and empathy and pity on the needy who, who might be at the end of themselves. And his compassions are new every morning. It's a beautiful, uh, poetic, if you like, description of the present reality of God's character. In, In other words, in the darkest of times, God's mercies regularly rise and shine like the new day dawn for his people. And, and you know, I'm sure every believer here will be able to testify and share stories of how God's mercies have come to them at just the right time. That might be a gift at just the right time. Or a verse from the Bible springing out of the pages and hitting us between the eyes at the right time. It might be, it might be a kindness from a stranger. Or, or a deliverance from danger. These are just a few of God's daily compassions and they're everywhere. It reminds me of a story from uh, uh, the biography of Corrie ten Boom I, I read as a child. Uh, She and her sister were in a Nazi concentration camp during the Second World War. And she tells how the hut that they were in uh, developed an unbearable lice infestation. And it was so bad that the guards of the concentration camp would would just steer clear of them. And one day, as Corrie ten Boom was crying out in frustration and despair at the insufferable itching of the crawling lice, just as she got to that point of despair and feeling that God had abandoned them, her sister said to her, isn't God good? If it weren't for the lice keeping the guards away, those guards would quickly stop the prayer meetings that we have and the daily fellowship that we enjoy. 
Do you know, in the midst of that dark place, they were able to see the comforting hand of God that created the freedom to fellowship, the freedom to worship, the freedom to pray together. And that's the truth that undergirds the hope of all that who believe. Our God loves us. And daily we experience his compassions and his restraining grace in so many ways. His faithfulness to those he loves is unfailing and constant. And that's what our passage goes on to say later on in verses 31 to 32. It says this, no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Verse 32, though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief. anyone. So we've seen in our verses that in the midst of difficult times, God's love gives us hope, gives us confidence, it gives us comfort. But where do we go with that? How do we respond? Well, our response is God's love leads us to praise. God's love leads us to praise. In considering all that he has about God's love, and compassion, and his restraining grace, the writer turns to gratitude. Look at verse 24 with me. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. What he means by that is even though he might have nothing, God is enough. God is enough. And to wait on him in hard times is to embed our identities and our hopes, not in our circumstances, not in our jobs, not in our wealth, not in our poverty even, but in God's love. And perhaps as we go through these tough times, God wants us to make the most of our suffering, to, to use this season of our lives to reflect on how we're doing spiritually. Really, how are we doing spiritually? Maybe we're invited to pray and reach out to God in the rawness of emotion, like the the writer does here, and to seek God's face and to reflect and meditate on his love. And it might be, it might be that only when we look back do we see how God has grown us in the midst of these difficult times. It might be that we come out of this pandemic humbler Christians, more devoted Christians willing to give more because we appreciate what we have more. Christians who listen to God more because our suffering has made us cry out to him more and draw near to him. But truth be told, it might be that we're sat watching on the TV feeling frustrated You might be even yelling at the screen, saying, I don't feel like that. I don't feel like praising God. I can't sit and wait because it's too hard and it's too painful. What? What then? What then? If truth be told, I can't give an easy solution. but I am able to point to the God who suffers with us. Let me just turn our attention to verses one to nine of Lamentations three. 
I'll just read a few of those verses. First one says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He's driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than in light. Verse 5, he's besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. Verse 8 and 9, even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. The writer saying, he's looking at Israel around him, looking at the suffering of, of, of people in a siege situation. And he cries out to God as he sees that pain and suffering. And it's bigger than himself. You know, the the whole of those verses is all about God and me, God and me. As the writer writes, God and me, God and me. But what he's doing is he's personifying the pain he sees around him. It's like he takes the nation of Israel and he personifies it onto himself. And all that he's saying about God and his hand upon the writer is the same as God and his hand upon Israel. And amazingly, as the the writer does that, what he's doing is becoming a living prophecy of what is to happen 600 years later. Because just as the writer becomes a metaphor, brings that, that, that pain and suffering onto himself, he's foreshadowing what Jesus does, literally, What happens as a metaphor 600 years before Christ happens in reality with Christ. Jesus literally takes the sufferings of the whole world upon himself. He hung on the cross, and in real life, he suffered the same hand of God, the same horrors as God's hand of judgment fell on him. He was, as verse 1 tells us, the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He was, as verse 5 to 9 says, besieged by God, weighed down with chains. His prayers were shut out. His way was barred with blocks of stone. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Because God had abandoned his son. As he hung on the cross, the full weight of sin's consequences fell on him, and he suffered in our place. Why does he do it? Because he loves us. And if you're in that place, not knowing where to start with your suffering, then start at verse 1 of Lamentations chapter 3. And reflect on the Savior who became our sin, and our pain, and our suffering. And the suffering that he bore was so that we might not have to. And as you reflect on him, understand that God is not remote. Understand that he's not distant and characterless and loveless. Understand that he comes into this world and loves. And meditate and pray through his great demonstration of love on the cross through his bitterness, through his pain on our behalf, till you get to that place where you can truly say, yet this will I call to mind. Because my Savior has suffered, I know he loves. 
and therefore I have hope because of his love. I am not consumed by the same wrath that consumed him. His compassions never fail so that I might endure a right relationship with God. They are new every morning and one day the sun will rise and we will see his face personally and wonderfully physically. And then on that day we will say, great is your faithfulness. And then on that day we will say, the Lord is enough. Isn't that beautiful? Therefore, in the midst of our darkest night, in the midst of unprecedented times, in the midst of pain upon pain upon pain and suffering, in the midst of this, all I will wait for him. Here is our God who suffers with us. So whatever we face, our Savior loves And whatever each morning looks like, as we wake to face it, we know we are forgiven and God is faithful. And therefore, we have hope. Let me pray. Yet this will I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope because of the Lord's great love. We are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lord God, we praise you and worship you in the midst of these difficult times because of your unfailing love, because of the great hope that we have that you have suffered in our place that we might enjoy the freedom to know you. Oh, Father God, help us to embed our souls in the great love of God. Help us, Lord God, to see your great compassions every day, every morning. Help us to know the great truth that you are faithful so that we might say with this writer, our God is enough. I will wait for him. Amen.